Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Desha Miller from This Is 42. And if you want to level up your relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm excited to have Desh Amila on the show. Desh is a documentary filmmaker and serial entrepreneur. His first documentary, Islam, Future of Tolerance, featuring Sam Harris, became the number one iTunes downloaded worldwide during its release in 2018. Amila founded Think Incorporated, a first-of-its-kind edutainment company that tours intellectuals throughout Australia and New Zealand. The event company's first debut was a conference held in Melbourne featuring speakers such as astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson, historian of science Michael Shermer, and political activist Dr. Cornell West. In 2018, Amila sold Think Incorporated and launched a new events and media company, This Is 42. Guys, it's going to be such a fun conversation and uh, a topic that we don't normally get into here on the show. So I'm excited to jump into that. But first, really quickly, if you like to be a guest on podcasts or you are a podcast yourself, uh, then you're going to want to check over the new software marketplace that we built called Guestio, which exists to connect high-level people with each other for the sake of podcast episodes. So whether you're a guest or a show, 
head over to guestio.com, register for a free account and browse through our catalog that is continually growing full of shows and guests. Uh, so you can connect with more expert level people for free. That's guestio.com, guestio.com. Dash, what is up? Thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the show. Oh, I'm great. Thank you very much for take, you know taking some time to talk to what I would assume rather different kind of guest. I've, I've listened to some of your podcasts. You have some amazing minds and then there's me. <laughs> well, hey, thanks for thanks for taking the time to listen to a couple episodes, and uh, you definitely you definitely fit in with all the other amazing people that we've had, but a little bit different of an industry than we usually talk to. So, I but I'm excited to kind of get into some things with you. So let's let's rewind the clock here, Dash. And if you listen to the show, you know where I'm going. Build some context and set the scene. Tell us what it was like growing up being you. Like what part of the world and uh, you know family life, culture, that kind of good stuff. So I was born in a small village in Sri Lanka. For those who don't know where Sri Lanka is, it's just under India. The Pearl of the Indian Ocean is is the title that they say. And I was born in a town that, it's a a hill country, had a wonderful childhood. Or I thought, now in retrospect, some of the things I witnessed and saw may not have been as nice as I thought because I was born into... The, a civil war. It was born in mm. 1981. That's when the country got into a civil war that lasted 28 years. Wow. So I've only known Sri Lanka as a country of war. But as a child, you don't really recognize those things and you just continue to play. I have fond memories of playing Robin Hood in tea estates in, in Sri Lankan hill country. But I also remember, you know, seeing this is going to take a dark turn warning uh, uh, but i also remember seeing you know um charred tires and what used to be a human being in the middle you don't think too much of it and i you know, policemen or uh, um, soldiers with ak-47s stopping you and asking for your id those were part and parcel of just life didn't yeah. think you know, the rest of the world was different <laughs> i thought that was life but so that was my you know early childhood um, um i I was the first in my family to leave the town uh, on a scholarship. I went to Colombo, the big city of Sri Lanka, to do my, uh, what you would call, high school. And from there, I had this rather big ambition of leaving the country. No one in my family has ever uh, been on a plane, let alone you know left the country or been on a plane, for that matter. But I, I knew my future was outside of Sri Lanka, everything I wanted to do. So in 2000, I managed to somehow leave the country, which was an unusual circumstances and set of events because my family, my parents, school teachers or government servants, and their salaries and their savings could not uh, afford to buy me a, a ticket. But somehow... Uh, a ton of circumstances got to a point and I eventually got a one-way ticket to Australia with a small amount of money in my pocket. And they said, good luck. And then I came to Australia um, wow. in 2000. And hey, from so there how, on... How, how old were you? So you were like 18 at the time? 19. So when I left Sri Lanka. And keeping in mind, uh, now, this is not a unique story for a lot of migrants, but you know, I realized for some people it's an unusual story. I thought I knew... English because I watched a lot of Hollywood movies. So I could understand, but I couldn't really speak the language when I came here. And especially with the Australian accent, 
Mm. I had no idea what people were saying when I got here. <laughs> so there was a, the challenge was compounded. You know, I had no money, no understanding of the culture or the language, and then you know, but I had no choice but to make it work. Yeah, I mean, when when that's the only choice, you don't really have any other options, right? Mm-mm. You just have to make it work. What did you do? How, how did you make it work? I came here as a student, so I wanted to study filmmaking, but reality. Uh, for a, a student like me, was education was almost secondary. Survival was number one because my parents and my relatives all got together and managed to give me five hundred dollars, but I had to pay for my university fees, which was like a three and a half. This is two thousand three and a half thousand dollars a subject, and I had four subjects to pay for. So from there on, it was me finding enough money to find food, shelter and pay for my university. So from day one, it was like, okay, get a job. And I, keeping in mind, I've never had a job in my life. So I didn't even know where to start. I didn't know what a CV was. I was, one of the first things I did, I walked around with my broken English, went from store to store asking for a job. And one store, as this person took pity on me and said, you need a CV. You can't just come in and ask for a job. No one's going to give you a job. And I did not know what he was talking about, but went back to the library, figured out I need to print out this little document. Uh, I made that. And then, you know, every day till somebody gave me a job, I was knocking whatever door I could to get a job. It took me about three weeks and I was down to like a like hundred bucks. I was panicking, but I eventually got a job. I My first job... Uh, <laughs> It's kind of stereotypical, but I end up getting a job at a petrol station as an attendee. Hmm, got it. So that was just like, I need money to survive kind of job? Absolutely. I, I had, uh, at, at that point, uh, no entrepreneurship skill. It was just more survival mode. I need to get started. I actually end up getting three jobs because my first job was cash in hand. Uh, and you know, my first three weeks was training. I'm saying that with air quotes, so they didn't actually pay me. Uh, now I know it's illegal. You can't do that. But they did because, uh-huh. you know, I, what, what, what would I know? So I end up getting two other jobs. I also worked as a kitchen hand. Basically, that's a you know glorified name for somebody who washes dishes and takes mm-hmm. the garbage at a rather fancy restaurant. And I got a job at another petrol station doing pretty much the same thing. So I was juggling three jobs while maintaining what I need to maintain at the university so they don't kick me out because, you know, you have to attend 90% of classes or something. What type of memory do you have of that time? Meaning like when you look back on that time period, what feelings do you feel about it? I do feel as the person I've become, the appreciation I have for the things I have now, the gratitude I have, it all stems back from the struggle. The first three, four years of my life in Australia was harder than my life in a war-ridden, a civil war in Sri Lanka. It was the hardest thing I had to do. Hmm. Uh, you know, I was yeah. sleeping at a train station walking 45 minutes in the absolute cold Melbourne weather. All of that built me a level of resilience uh, that I, I, I have fond memories. I, I talk about it uh, in, in a way that it doesn't, for me, it doesn't feel like that it was a negative experience. Now, when I was going through that, I was just over it. 
It, but I knew I had, I would have turned my back on my relatives, my parents who did everything they could to send me over here if I decided to go back. So going back was not an option. So I look at that as just, you know, it made me who I am today. Mm, yeah, I find oftentimes, uh, you know, those those end up being the good old days when, when you're, when you've gotten past that time period, you know, to, to be able to look back on that and with feelings of fondness of, of like, well, that, that when I was going through that time, it wasn't ideal, but that is one of the most precious times of my life because it literally turned me into who I am now. And I wouldn't have anything that I have now without that time period. So talk to me then about getting out of that. What, what were the first steps for you to be able to get out of, out of that, uh, that particular time in life? It, it took me quite a while, a lot longer than I would have liked. First thing I did was I had an opportunity to work at a radio station voluntarily producing some content. So I ended up turning uh, that rather you know, uniform radio station into something quite different by turning their Wednesday night into the hip hop night. Uh, hip hop at that point was relatively local hip hop at least was at its infancy. So we end up turning this into this very popular station on a Wednesday and a Saturday. We played you know, hip hop and R&B. And that gave me an insight into the events industry. And I realized I was very good at two things. One was talking and two was connecting to people, um, connecting with people, um, because I had this unusual way of looking at the world, which I still carry to this day, because you can hear my accent, but I can assure you this is not a Sri Lankan accent. This is what I but they call an airport accent because I was getting information from all around the world through various different cultures. And that helped me really cement my voice and my place in the community. That then led me into a, an extraordinary journey of, I've not stepped away from it, but 15 years of running events in Australia. At the beginning, there were small things just local ciphers and you know local club nights, then eventually touring some of the biggest names in, in hip-hop at that point or working in some capacity on some of the biggest events they held in Australia, whether it's tour managing, uh, whether it's you know just stage managing of some capacity or promoting. And that really gave me the opportunity to sort of find my feet. Uh, it, it opened up my eyes to entrepreneurship, how to do it on your own, because most events run on a small budget and there's so many moving parts, but it's all run by a small group of people because the margins are so low. It is glamorous, but behind the scenes, it is mental. So yeah, so that's the beginning of, of sort of my journey. Okay. And then where did, like, how does that wrap into now the things that you're up to with the documentary and, and the, the filmmaking that you're doing now at this point? Yeah. So you mentioned the intro that I, I founded a company called Thinking. Uh, that was an interesting turning point in my life in the sense that I was going through a personal journey of trying to understand what is it that is meaningful that I want to do, almost like what kind of legacy do I want to leave behind? See, I was in the hip hop industry. It's a People go to an event and they see the final product. They don't see anything else before that, but that final product is so impactful. You know, you've heard, I'm sure you have memories of uh, 
an event you went to, a concert where, you know, you'll be talking about it for the rest of the life. I, I can talk about many events you know, where I was like, oh, man, you know, that person at that venue or that night, that is a landmark event. So, but that was happening, but I felt like there's something missing in the sense the performer on stage was commanding an audience to do X, Y, Z, put your hand up, jump around. But I felt like there was an element of intellectual or rather intellectual curiosity that, w- that wasn't being porked because I was going through that personally in my personal life. Um, so I thought, wouldn't it be funny if we could book sort of this massive uh, rock or hip hop venues and put an intellectual there and promote it to the same hip hop audience and see if they turn up and we do this massive event where it's about ideas. I didn't think anyone will actually buy into it, but I know I would have bought a ticket. So that's the genesis of that company, Think Inc. And we were trying to make being intellectual cool. You know, I, wanted, I want the fashionable kids to come there. I want the Jordan wearing, uh, Yeezy wearing kids to come to an astrophysicist talk about you know, the universe. And it that resonated with you know, hundreds of thousands of Australians and New Zealanders. That was really when my thinking actually translated into a business that was making money at the same time having a real social impact. Mm. Keep in mind, my first attempt to do this was on the face of it was successful. There was you know, just over 1,700 people, but I need about 3,000 people to break even. So I lost all my savings, but I started again. But I knew it was going to work. So from the story of 2000 all the way to 2013 is when things started actually making real money, financially started making sense. Yeah. So 13 years is all. Yeah, that's it. That's all you have to struggle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash 
Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Okay, so talk to me now about uh, the documentary Islam. Yeah. Uh, Future of Tolerance. Uh, Sam so, Harris has got to be one of the most widely respected, I don't know, thought leaders, thinkers uh, of, of, yes. our, of our time right now. And you're able to, to bring him on and, and talk a little bit about that. So, so can you just kind of set the stage for us what, what, was, what went into that project and how did it end up going? So Islam and the Future of Tolerance was my first documentary. It came out late 2018, early 2019. So the story of how that movie came about was I did a tour with Sam Harris in Australia. And uh, during that tour, while we were promoting that tour, that Sam released a book called Islam and the Future of Tolerance, which is a conversation, a, an honest conversation between the world-renowned neuroscientist slash atheist Sam Harris versus an ex-Muslim uh, Islamist extremist by the name of Majid Nawaz from UK. And that conversation was illuminating. I've never read a story, you know, a conversation like that. And with Sam's permission, I invited Majid as a special guest to come from the UK to be part of this tour. And we filmed the tour, not really thinking too much of it. Now, I, you know, I've always had the had, had ambitions of becoming my eventual thing that I want to do for the rest of my life is filmmaking. So. I always film things, but never really had a plan per se. So we were filming this. We did the tour. While, while the tour was happening in Australia, it had its, uh, anytime Sam is involved, there's the share of, uh, the fair share of controversy. It, it made some, contra, uh, you know, I, I did some controversial things. Like I tried to get a billboard up with one of Sam's quotes and that got banned and that made news all around the world. It got banned? That, yeah, yeah, all yeah. Right. Well, what was, mean, on the, what was on the billboard, Dash? What was going to be on the billboard? Uh, oh, man, what did he say? He said <laughs> something like, he took a shot at Islam in one of his earlier books, and I quoted it. I got it checked with him. So the, there were three billboards. One was taking a shot at Christianity. One was taking a shot at Islam. It was about the Quran. You know, he, 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 he was talking about, you know, I don't remember the exact quote. I'm going to send it to you after this podcast, so okay. uh, you can probably you know, read it out. But it was, you know, I think uh, the, the, the essence of it is absolutely valid. It's like any idea should be, we should be able to criticize any idea. And that was the essence of that quote. Um, uh, Christianity, this, a similar story, uh, the absurdity of, you know, consuming something, or oh, this is Catholicism actually, consuming that represents somebody's body and then drinking that person's blood. Like the whole idea sounds utterly absurd if you present it that way so yeah. th that was a quote so things like that that were the idea was there to you know get attention um but i didn't expect it to be banned because at that point there were similar billboards from religious organizations just right. asking people to convert to religion so i thought hey you know the opposite should work but unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately got banned and then it made news all around uh, the world um because richard dawkins spoke about it and sam tweeted about it so while this was all happening, an, an award-winning filmmaker from America, Jay Shapiro, saw what was happening, and he reached out to me and said, hey, did you by any chance film everything? And I said, yes. He said, would you consider turning it into a film? And I said, 
hell yes, because that's what <laughs> I want to do. So him and I got together and we first started using the existing footage, but we realized it wasn't good enough. So we then embarked on a journey about a year. We filmed uh, an enormous amount of interviews, footage in, in Edinburgh, in London, in New York, in LA, Canada, somewhere in, a couple of places in Canada. And we ended up producing something that I'm extremely proud of, Islam and the Future of Tolerance. Um, so it is now av available on Amazon Prime um, and all the other platforms. So that's the, that's the story of my first film. I got to do a little bit more in that world, man, because that's kind of where I see myself in the future is like lesson, right. lesson networking. Just as a, a quick aside to my listeners, um, this is kind of where I see the future for myself, it is kind of more in that in that space as well, which is why it fascinated me so much and why I wanted to bring you on the show. So now, so then the the the, the next thing you did is you you had this conference in in Melbourne, and then uh, uh, that was with Neil deGrasse Tyson and Michael Shermer, Cornell West, and then you end up selling Think Incorporated in 2018, and now you launched a new events media company called This Is 42. So. So talk us through those next steps now. The event you're talking about, the conference, that happened in 2011. Since then, I've toured individual tours with Sam Harris, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Cornel West. I've also done, before Zoom was popular, I did a, a virtual event with a Zoom robot, Edward Snowden. You know, I did a, a similar thing with Julian Assange, you know, Michio Kaku, Steve Wozniak, you name it, anyone in that sort of intellectual space we've, we've worked with and we've toured. Now, due to circumstances completely out of my control, I had to sell my company, uh, thinking at its height of its success. It wasn't the way I wanted to end it, completely out of your control. It was devastating for me. I took a little bit of time off, but you know, I then decided, no, I'm going to do this again. So I created This Is 42. Now, the concept of This Is 42 at the offset was a little hazy. I was, uh, you know, when you get out of a, a challenging situation, you know, you have a lot of emotion. So I wanted to do everything. I wanted to create content. So a part of This Is 42 was a production house. I wanted to create, I wanted to manage talent. The other part was a talent management agency. I wanted to run events. The other part was a, an events company. And I wanted to develop software. The other part was a software company. I did that for about a year and I realized I'm spreading myself too thin. I was burning <laughs> through a ton of cash. And just recently, it's been about a year just before the pandemic hit, um, I had a moment and I took a step back and looked at everything that was happening and I decided to regroup. So the answer to your question now Right now, This Is 42 is putting together a brand new platform that will come out. It is still in the intellectual space. That'll come out sometime this year. But while that is happening, I decided to go ahead and make another movie. And this movie is called Better Left Unsaid. It is a political movie. It's, a, it's really a political thesis about what is happening in the politics of Western politics right now, the insanity that you may be witnessing in America, it has deep roots of, it didn't just start, you know, contrary to popular belief, people think, you know, it's, it's Trump's doing, but it isn't. It has a, a far more longer storyline. So I wanted to tell that story. 
so that's my new movie. Along with that, you know, I, I, I produce a podcast that, that's out there with an incredibly talented young intellectual by the name of Coleman Hughes called Conversations with Coleman. So yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, I love that. Um, so you can go to betterleftunsaidfilm.com and uh, it's a nonprofit production. So you can go over there and donate to help uh, get that film distributed. So I highly recommend going over to betterleftunsaidfilm.com to donate to this and get help help get this project off the ground. I think that'd be amazing. So Dash, I appreciate you coming on the show today. I got to ask you this question kind of more in the, to, you know, to change the topic a little bit. It's kind of more around the networking uh, relationship building topic, which is what the show is really built for. You've obviously been able to connect with and properly and appropriately leverage key relationships in your life with certain authority figures in order to increase credibility in projects that you're working on. It's something that you've seemingly done a really good job with. So I want to ask you this question because it's the one that um, uh, that I ask every guest that comes on the show. Who you know or what you know, Desh? Which of those two do you view as being the more valuable asset in life and why? I think who you know is incredibly important, but it doesn't really go as far as you think it would if you don't know what is it that you want from those people. And for you to know what is it that you want, you need to have a certain level of understanding and education in that field. And when I use the term education, I'm not talking about a university degree or specializing some sort of uh, you know, industry. It is really you as a person and what do you want to achieve in life and education that you went out and sought yourself not education that was given to you in the traditional schooling system. Mm, got it. Makes a lot of sense, man. Uh, so so talk to me then a little bit about how you went about cultivating these high-level relationships that we've talked about today on the show. I have this personality. Whatever I do, I apply myself. And I know it's a bit of a cliche, but I really back myself up. Uh, and I don't even know I'm doing it, but I go all in. And I, with relationships, I do the same thing. So when I used to tour these public intellectuals, I made sure that they were treated with a certain level of respect and dignity and also comfort. And for them, it was unusual because public intellectuals, are they're used to coming to the airport, catching a cab and going to the hotel. With me, you know, there was a, a, a driver waiting in a comfortable car to take them to where they need to go. And they were put on the best locations, hotels and whatnot. And it started off with something as little as that. And then I made sure I was there and I was talking to them. I was really connecting with them. I know some of these intellectuals that I've toured, they are what you would, the literally literal definition of a genius and I am anything but but I knew that they may specialize in one thing but I know that at the end of the day they're human beings so I treated them like that and with that came long-lasting friendships and and uh, to date uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's only Australian and New Zealand tours have been done by me you know, we did it three times. Uh, and I still get some of these intellectuals reaching out to me whenever they have a situation that they think I could help. 
I think it is incredibly important that whatever you do to build relationships and networks, it has to come from a place of honesty and a level of authentic communication. You know, it's not, it should never really be tit for tat. That is, uh, you know, if you want something from somebody, that's going to be a byproduct of the relationship, the friendship you develop. Um, and I, the ability for me to have um, some of the biggest intellectuals in the world is because of that. Like my new film has Steven Pinker, Norm Chomsky, um, you know, Michael Shermer, all of these people because of my existing relationships with them, you know, and, and then I think it's incredibly important that you come from a place of honesty. Mm. Yeah, that's such a perfect answer and a great way to get this conversation wrapped up and headed into the final round, something I like to call the random round. Just quick random questions, quick random answers. You ready, Dash? Go for it. What profession, other than your own, do you think that it would just be fun to attempt? Music production. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who would it be? Jay-Z. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? All the above. Maybe not blogs, but all the above. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Wake up, 5 a.m., read some news, have a coffee, gym, one hour, then come back, shower, uh, prepare uh, everything for my little one before she goes to school, and then drive her and sometimes my partner, come back and get to work. What is your go-to pump-up song? Oh, I've got too many of them. Rock Boys by Jay-Z, because I mentioned Jay-Z earlier. Yeah, I got to give another shout-out to Jay-Z. Um, what's something that you are not very good at, Desh? Attention to detail. Mm, yeah, I hear that one. I That's, hear that one. It, <laughs> so it's always a bigger picture, and little things I miss all the time. And as we get everything wrapped up here, what is one place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most? Well, this year I'm trying to be less on social media, but I am on social media, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, actually YouTube no longer as myself. For the purposes of everything we, uh, we've spoke about here, I would say betterleftunsaidfilm.com is the best place to connect with me. Betterleftunsaidfilm.com. Uh, we mentioned it earlier. He's talking about it. Make sure to go over there, hit that donate button, support a worthy cause and get this message out into the world. Dash, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. I had a fantastic time chatting with you. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. 
No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.